Good morning. Welcome. Great to see you. If you're new, great to have you with us. Um, we are going to crack right straight on with um, 1 Corinthians 14. So um, you will know that we've been in quite a, a long series. Um, we've taken it quite slowly going through 1 Corinthians chapters 12 uh, through to 14. And the strap line really for our series right through from last autumn has been what happens when God invades his people. And our desire really is that we would be a people who are invaded by God, by his spirit, that we're filled with the spirit, that we understand the gifts of the spirit, that we understand uh, why he's given us gifts and what he wants to do with them and what it is really to be the body of Christ, to be God's people. So really where we've ended up a lot of our time over the last few months, we've uh, found God taking us to look at what it is to be the body of Christ, what it is to be the family of God, what it is to be the church. And so if you know, uh, if you've been around or if you know 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you'll know, although it's talking about the Spirit and it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, actually what Paul spends a lot of time talking about is what it is to be God's people together. And the preciousness of that, the significance of that, uh, to really lift our eyes to see what it is to be part of the family of God and uh, what it is to be a member of the, 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 the body of Christ. And we carry on with that really um, in 1 Corinthians 14. So last week, uh, if you were here, Al spoke to us about the gift of prophecy. And we're going to speak a little bit this morning about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and what Paul is on about in 1 Corinthians 14 where he talks about tongues and prophecy and what happens in the meeting of God's people when everybody comes together. Um, so we will spend a little bit of time talking about the gift of tongues. We will spend a little bit of time talking about Paul's vision for the gathering of God's people. But then what I really want to do is step back from that and say, but what, why is Paul concerned about this? And it comes back to this sense of who are you as the family of God? And have we really grabbed hold of what it is to be God's people and what we come together for? Okay, so this is about why would we bother to gather, really? What have we come together for when we get together as God's people? And do we understand the significance of what we're doing when we gather like this? Okay, that is where we're going. Are you with me? Good. Let's pray, and then um, we'll get going. Father, I just thank you for your presence with us. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that you have grabbed hold of us individually and together, Lord, and I thank you for these opportunities that we have to be together as your people, to hear from one another, to worship you, to lift up Jesus, to be encouraged in our faith. Lord, we thank you for the privileges that we have in this nation, Lord. We thank you for the freedom that we have to gather, to encourage one another, to own the fact that we are followers of Jesus. Lord, we, we celebrate that and we thank you, Lord, and we don't take it for granted. And Lord, we, as we prayed in the prayer meeting this morning, Lord, uh, as I think about the nation and the freedoms that we have here, Father, I want to lift this nation to you again at this point, as Olive encouraged us to do in the prayer meeting this morning. I want to lift uh, the UK to you, Lord. I want to pray that in these days of confusion and division 
and not knowing the way forward, Lord, that you would break in. We thank you that we have a sovereign God. We thank you that we have a God who is in control of this nation and has used this nation and has fallen on this nation at different points in its history. And we pray, Lord, at this point in our history again, would you break in? Would you lead us, Lord? Would you uh, fill Westminster with your spirit, Lord? Will you guide politicians, Lord, will you lead us through this uh, confusion right now? And we pray, let your will be done. And Lord, uh, over all of this, we pray, Lord, may there be freedom as we read in Scripture. May there be freedom for us to celebrate who we are, to proclaim the gospel. Um, and may that be the priority, Lord, we pray, as decisions are made about the future of our nation. We say, Lord, let your gospel run riot in this nation in the days ahead. And may nothing get in the way of that, Lord, whatever decisions are made uh, in the highest places of our land. We pray, bless this nation, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, I wasn't planning to do that, but um, that felt good to do. So, oh, yes. <laughs> And let's keep praying. Uh, there are interesting days. Uh, I love I, you. Well, if you speak to my family, you'll know that um, I'm getting very excited about politics at the moment because I love all that's going on. But we need to keep praying that God's will will be done in the midst of it. Amen? Right, let's get on with 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, this is a long passage. I'm going to chop some bits out and read as fast as I can. Uh, here we go. Starting at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies, edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Since you are, I'm missing a chunk here. Uh, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. But if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified or built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it's written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. 
So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Okay, so lots of ins and outs about these gifts of tongues and prophecy. Al explained really prophecy to us last week. I'm not going to go over that. Just want to say a a couple of things uh, about the gift of tongues. Uh, so it's uh, maybe slightly weird, may, uh, you might think, if you're coming in new or you've not experienced this kind of church or um, uh, uh, maybe not heard of the gift of tongues before. But this is one of the gifts of the Spirit that God gives for our good. What we understand as we read Scripture is that the gift of tongues is something that, ex- that comes from deep within our spirit, that expresses something of our spirit, but with our minds, we don't understand what is going on. We don't understand what we're saying. So we're speaking in another language that is not our own language. We're expressing things of the spirit. We're expressing them towards God, but actually in our minds, we don't understand what we're saying. It's a gift of the spirit because actually it does us good. So when we pray in tongues as an individual, we build ourselves up in our faith, the Bible says. And that is a good thing to do. There's not masses of examples of it in the New Testament, but clearly it's an, uh, it is a gift of the Spirit. So for example, let me give you one example where it occurs in Acts. So Acts 19, uh, where Paul goes to Ephesus and kind of checks out the, the people who are interested in Jesus. <clears throat> the believers at that time, and finds that uh, what they've understood about God is not quite right and prays for them to be filled with the Spirit. This is Acts 19, chapter, uh, verse 4. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Uh, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, so Paul is is checking out what they believe in Ephesus. He places his hands on them, prays for them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they prayed, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So uh, he hasn't explained anything about that to them, but as Paul has come and prayed for these new believers in Ephesus, the Spirit has fallen on them, and they've started to pray in tongues. Uh, God's given them that gift. So it's a gift uh, expressing the Spirit expressing our heart towards God, but we don't understand with our minds what is going on. And Paul says, I want you to eagerly desire that gift. Uh, he says he longs that everybody uh, prays in tongues. It's a, it's a great thing. And it's important that we edify ourselves. Just to, um, I don't know what your own journey with this is. Some people, uh, there'll be a number of people here who uh, have the gift of tongues and can speak in that other language, spiritual language. Uh, there'll be others to whom this is completely foreign, I suspect. Um, Just to uh, tell you my own journey with this, when I first came to this church 26 years ago, it was at the Link Center, it was 20 people. Um, I know it's a long time ago, some of you weren't even born. Um, But that's when Swindon Family Church started. 
Um, uh, I, was ner- I was, to say the least, nervous of, of the gift of tongues and lots of other things that God was doing around the place, actually. Um, but I did a foundation course, uh, went through some of the basics of the Christian faith. I was not at all looking forward to the chapter on baptism in water, hadn't been baptized in water. I was not looking forward to the chapter on baptism in the spirit, hadn't been really baptized, hadn't had that experience of uh, uh, really being filled properly with the spirit or speaking in tongues or anything like that. So I was hugely in trepidation of those weeks on the foundation course, but gradually was led through that, explained it to people, and I have to say that uh, got baptized in water, obviously, uh, probably you understand that, I might not be speaking up here preaching if I hadn't done that, Um, filled with the Spirit uh, over and over, as Paul says, be being filled with the Spirit, keep being filled with the Spirit, and receive the gift of tongues. Completely unexciting, not some great... uh, amazing experience of God, but just found that as people prayed, I was able to speak in a, in a different language. And uh, I think that's lots of people's experiences, not some amazing, wow, uh, fireworks kind of moment, but actually it is something that as we develop it and learn and practice speaking in this other language, that actually we find it's a really helpful thing uh, in our building up of ourselves in our Christian faith. So uh, I said... Um, there's a number of, <clears throat> excuse me, I always remember on that journey a number of significant things that people said to me about the gift of tongues, because probably because it was something that I was wary of. And so I always remember Andrew Leakey, who uh, some of you will know, who started this church. Who, who remembers, the, who knows the name Andrew Leakey? Oh, there's still some people around. Started this church 26 years ago, and I always remember him describing the way that he uh, went swimming, at, I think it was at the Link Centre swimming pool, and that he would do lengths. Uh, it was part of his keeping fit, but he would pray one way, speaking in tongues, and he'd pray the other way, speaking in English. And he'd pray the one way, speaking in tongues, because you, you don't always know what to pray about, do you? The, yeah, you're feeling stuff, you don't always have the words, uh, especially if you're a very quiet person like myself. Then sometimes it's just helpful to just be praying in the Spirit and to know that actually your spirit is communicating with God, even though you don't understand what's going on. And so I always remember... Um, him saying that. Uh, another occasion I remember is Ray Lowe, who is um, uh, an apostle really within our family of churches, one of the older leaders, not now leading a church, but in regions beyond. And I always remember him coming to a meeting here and saying that he needed to pray in tongues all the way before he got here because he'd been really angry about something that had happened. Um, he'd been cross and he had not been in the right frame of mind at all to come and lead a meeting of the church in Swindon. Um, so he'd had to pray in tongues all the way in the car. And actually what God had done in that process as, was to sort him out. And by the time he got here, he was ready to lead and to uh, uh, worship God and all the rest of it. And for some reason, that's always stuck in my mind. Um, and then who knows Marina, who used to be part of this church. This is a bit of a history of, history of Gateway Church. Um, brilliant prophetic lady. I always remember her coming to me and saying, now part of you uh, growing in God, this was a number of years ago, is that you need to uh, walk and pray. And you need to have long periods where you're just walking and speaking in tongues. And she, uh, I don't know if she knew that I was someone who walked and prayed, but she kind of gave me permission to spend time and not think it was a waste of time actually walking around 
um, enjoying God, just praying in tongues and praying in the Spirit. And she said, this is going to be significant for you and it's going to be an important part of your growth as a Christian. And she was right. It has been ever since. Um, and so I have my regular walks that I do. It's part of my uh, building myself up in my faith. And probably half of that time is praying in tongues. So I hope all of that, uh, my aim really is to demystify t- uh, the gift of tongues if, if you not come across it. And if you don't have that gift and you'd like to have it, then we would love to pray for you. Um, a few weeks ago, Rebecca, who came and spoke earlier, I don't know if she's still in the room. Are you there, Rebecca? Uh, came to me on a Sunday morning and said, I really feel like we uh, need to celebrate the gift of tongues and enjoy it and use it and pray for people uh, to have that gift who don't yet have it. Because actually it's something that is a real blessing in our walk with God and in our building up of ourselves in God. And I think, uh, Rebecca, that you'd been stimulated by something that, I think Justin Welby, was he on Radio 4 or something? Or yeah, so I saw it on a, on a different interview, but I think maybe, was he on Thought for the Day or something on Radio 4? Oh, there was, okay. But anyway, so Justin Welby revealed to the shock of the nation that he prays in tongues every morning. That's part of his, um, his building himself up, part of his worship of God in the morning. So, so you, it's, it's okay. Um, so we would love to pray for you if, if, if you'd like to receive that gift, if you don't right now, because uh, we, uh, I believe, we believe that it's a, a really important thing that builds us up in our faith is, and is great in uh, just enabling us to communicate and to worship God. Okay, so that's speaking in tongues. Oh dear, look at the time. Um, okay, so we've done prophecy, we've done speaking in tongues, but what we need to talk about now is what, what is Paul's point here? And actually, it's a very simple point. What is his point in 1 Corinthians 14? Why is he going on about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy? And really, what we need to understand is the context, as we read it, is the public gathering of God's people, okay? He's talking about when we gather as God's people, what happens in our meetings, what happens in our gatherings, what happens when we come together, and how do we administer what we do in those settings. And Paul's point, really, well, we need to understand the context also of Corinthians and um, the Corinthian church, which, as we read it, we understand was a place of chaos. People were praying out. Um, uh, all sorts of different people were praying out in different tongues. Uh, people were prophesying at the same time. Really, people thought that their, their expression of gifts of the Spirit was a sign that they were very spiritual and that God was with them. But actually, there was no order to the way that they were doing things in their meeting. So they were kind of spiritually showing off. It was a chaotic meeting, but it wasn't actually doing anybody any good. And so Paul's point really through all of this is that in the, I guess, two key things, that in the coming together publicly when we gather as God's people, there are two priorities according to Paul. And one is that whatever we do, it should be for the building up of the body. Amen? Did that come across to you as we read it? That whatever we do and the way that we do it, it must be so that the church, so that the people of God are, is edified, so that people are built up. And so what was happening is that people were praying out in, uh, in other languages without any interpretation, and so that wasn't doing anybody else any good. People were not edified by that. Whereas in contrast, uh, prophetic words were, being, were, were potentially being brought which were Uh, explaining the things of God, explaining what God was doing. And actually that was something that was 
building people up. So Paul's saying, if you do want to use a tongue in a public context, a foreign language, what you need to do is you need to make sure that there's somebody there who can interpret it. So that actually what is going on is making sense to everybody who is present. Because the key test for Paul is that the people in the room should be being built up in their faith uh, through what is going on in the meeting. Amen? So that's our test. Whether it be prophecy, whether it be speaking in a tongue, Whatever we do, it needs to come with sufficient order and explanation so that the body of Christ, the people of God gathered, are built up in their faith. So that they understand more of God, so that they're drawn towards God, so that they're enabled to worship, so that uh, freedom comes to them. And so that is, uh, and hopefully you will have seen that going on this morning as different contributions have come and bits of explanation, is actually that what we're trying to do, this very thing that Paul is emphasizing here, is we're trying to ensure that everything that we do in this meeting is, works for the building up of the body. Amen? And I hope you found that. So uh, uh, when Colin started at the beginning uh, with that psalm, he brought bits of explanation which will make it make sense to us so that actually it is for, for edification, so that it builds us up and helps us towards God. And other bits that have come through the morning, that is, that is our focus that the body of Christ, this precious thing that is gathered here, uh, has explanation, uh, knows what it's talking about, is enabled to communicate with God, sees what God is doing in our midst, and can respond to that. Okay? That's his first point. His other point, I guess, is uh, you will see is about unbelievers. And so what he's concerned about is that if an unbeliever or an inquirer is in the room, and I guess in any gathering of God's people, there will always be inquirers, there will always be people uh, who have not yet made that step of saying, yep, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. They're not actually walking with uh, Jesus as his followers yet. Uh, but, and, and that's a fantastic thing. But Paul's concern is that as those inquirers are amongst the people of God, actually that what goes on in the meeting should make sense to them. Okay, so once again, uh, his point with tongues is that if uh, if the gift of tongue is uh, if the gift of another language is used in the context of a public meeting and nobody interprets it, then it just doesn't make sense and it 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 makes it seem like the people of God are crazy. So when Paul says that um, the 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 gift of tongues is a sign for unbelievers. What he's actually meaning is that it is a negative sign. So a sign is something that displays God's pleasure or displeasure with what's going on. Okay, But you can have positive signs or you can have negative signs. And Paul's point is that uh, the gift of tongues expressed without interpretation is actually a negative sign in that it puts unbelievers off. Okay, So it is a sign of God. And, and the reference to the Old Testament there, to Isaiah, actually it, God has used it in the past in judgment. To, to, because it's put people off where, where he, he's explained what he's doing in a foreign language so nobody understands and people are, are pushed away from God. Paul's point is we do not want that to happen in the gathering of our people here. We want everything we do to draw people towards God and to make sense of God. Okay, So that's why an uninterpreted tongue is not great in the context of the gathering of God's people. Are you with me? Prophecy is a sign for believers. It builds people up. If it's brought in the right way, explains what God is doing. And so that's a great thing to have. Because Paul's priority is that everything we do, the priority must be the building up of the people of God. So that we understand God better. So that we're drawn to worship more. 
Amen? That really is the nuts and bolts of this passage. But what I want to do now is just kind of step behind that. Because you see, the context in Corinthians was one of chaos and disorder. And so Paul is kind of bringing order to say, look, pipe down a bit with your use of gifts because they need to make sense and they need to build up the body. I don't think that the Corinthian problem is necessarily our problem here today. I don't know if you'd agree with me. We're not necessarily overflowing with chaotic gifts. Actually, sometimes maybe the reverse is true, that actually we want to encourage more gifts of the Spirit. We want more things that uh, edify the body, that build one another up, that explain what God is doing. We want to encourage more of that. That would be uh, perfectly in line with Paul. So we've got to be careful that we don't... Uh, yes, we need to do things in order. Yes, we need to take note of what he's saying, that everything we do uh, must be explained and must edify the body. But that will mean different things for us than it did for the Corinthian church. Amen? So it might mean that we need to encourage more gifts. Uh, oh, I knew that I would get a, um, an amen from Paul for that. You can count, there's some things you can count on in life. Um, but it might mean different things for us. And in our context. So when you see things going on at the front and different... And let me say, this, by the way, applies to big meetings of God's people, but also to small gatherings of God's people in a home. Uh, so when you gather as a small group, the aim is the same, that as we come together, we're there to build one another up. We're there to do one another good through the use of gifts, through, the, um, through encouragement, through serving, through caring for one another... All of that, our prime focus is to build one another up. Small gathering, big gathering. If you have a bigger gathering, you need to administer it slightly different uh, so that uh, it makes sense to people. So in a gathering this size, you can't have everybody speak. You have to have some kind of way of uh, working out what bits are going to be shared. And so we do this sometimes slightly clumsy thing at the front where we try to work out what are the helpful things for everybody to hear. And please bear with us. Uh, we're only human. We sometimes get it wrong. Uh, but what this is, uh, our heart is what Paul's describing in 1 Corinthians 14, is that actually everything that's brought publicly would help to explain what God is doing, would make sense of him, would cause us to worship and to be built up. Amen? Sometimes we get it wrong. Uh, sometimes, but that is what's behind what we're doing. And it's more difficult when you have a big gathering. You can do it differently in a house, in a small group, when there's only eight of you or something. Uh, there's more opportunity for different ones to, to use gifts and to, um, to bring what God is doing with you individually and to build one another up in a different way. It's just appropriate to the size of the thing. But what I want to say to you is uh, the heart behind Paul and what I want to get across to you this morning is this amazing a sense of what it is to be the people of God. And we're back here again. I know we've been here over the last few months. But the, the sense that you get from Paul is that the church of Jesus Christ is a precious, precious thing. Amen? That there is nothing on earth like the church of Jesus Christ. That we're to hold it in high regard. That we're to value it highly. That when we come together, it's not to be a casual thing. But that actually our attitude as we come together is to be that, wow, this is something amazing that God has created. And my, my purpose in coming to the gathering of God's people, this is how, how we come on a Sunday morning, or whether we come when we're meeting with our small group, or whether we're having dinner with somebody else from the, uh, from, from the church, our attitude always is that we come 
Being aware of the precious thing that Jesus has done in redeeming us, in gathering us into a people, adopting us into his family, and that we come wanting the very best for the church, wanting the building up of one another, wanting to do one another good. Amen? So I don't know if that's how you come. I don't think it's always how I come. But as I've read this, actually, I believe that's what's behind 1 Corinthians 14. Yes, it's about the mechanics On the face of it, it's about the mechanics of how you run a meeting. But what's behind it is Paul saying, the church is so precious that every time it comes together, we must ensure that we are building it up, that we're doing good, that we're being a blessing to one another. So my challenge to you this morning really is that when you come on a Sunday or when you come to your small group or when you meet somebody for a coffee from the body of Christ, you're aware of this. You're aware that they're another member of the family of God and you want to do them good. So you come on a Sunday wanting to do others good. You come on a Sunday saying, what's God saying to me? How am I going to serve? It doesn't mean that everybody has to come to the microphone. The job that God's given you might be to go to somebody at the back who is really discouraged and just say, I want to give you a hug. I want to, only if you know them. Okay, let's not, just don't read what I'm not saying. Let's be appropriate. Um, Don't just go hugging everybody willy-nilly. Anyway. But listen, it might, your job might be to go to one person that you see across the room who you think is discouraged and to encourage them. But the point is that everybody is coming because of the preciousness of the church of Jesus Christ to build up, to do good, to see where they can serve, to see where they can uplift, where they can encourage. And every one of us, is, if everybody came like that to every gathering of God's people, what would the church be like? Amen? Quite different, wouldn't it? And so that's my challenge, really, is to say, can we prepare like that? Can our attitude be like that? And that, I think, is why Paul says, come on, stop being like infants. Because what do children do? They, what they think about is me, isn't it? What I'm, what's, in, what's in this for me? And if our test of a good church gathering is, what did I get out of it? Then that's an infant approach, okay? That's being like infants still. Saying, what, what, did I feel good as a result? Never mind whether you felt good. If church works, you will feel good. But your aim is to go and make somebody else feel good and to build them up in their faith by using the gifts of the Spirit, by encouraging, by blessing, by serving. Amen? That is what is behind this passage, I believe. And that, I think, is God's call to us. How are you looking at the church of Jesus Christ? It's an incredible thing. It's the temple of the living God where he dwells by his spirit. And through it, he says, through it, God says, he's going to make known to principalities and powers. He's going to make known to the spiritual realms his own wisdom. How is he going to do that? Only through the church, through us. We're the pinnacle of what he's doing on earth, believe it or not. And we've got to see one another like that. And we've got to see the church of Jesus Christ like that. And we're not all fully formed. And we're not all completed. And we're all growing. And we, we won't be sorted until we stand before Jesus Christ in glory. But actually what he's doing in the church is a precious, precious thing of grace and mercy and love. And we need to honor it and encourage it and build it up in all that we do. Amen? Because that is being like adults. Paul says. I just want to read you a little. I was reading a Eugene Peterson book yesterday 
And I just think we need to keep hearing, because of our culture and because of what we come with, we need to keep hearing this about God's people. This is Eugene Peterson, uh, author of the Message version of the Bible. The gospel is never for individuals, but always for a people. Sin fragments us, separates us, and sentences us to solitary confinement. Gospel restores us, unites us, and sets us in community. The life of faith revealed and nurtured in the biblical narratives is highly personal, but never merely individual. Always there is a family, a tribe, a nation, the church. Love cannot exist in isolation. This is what we've been talking about through these chapters, isn't it? Away from others, love bloats into pride. Grace cannot be received privately. Cut off from others, it is perverted into greed. Hope cannot develop in solitude. Separated from community, it goes to seed in the form of fantasies. Don't you know that? That's true, isn't it? If you hope for something that just is in your heart, isolated from what God is doing, it goes to seed in the form of fantasies. I think that is fantastic. It's true, isn't it? That's that moment, I do it myself, where I say, oh, let's just go to a desert island because it'd be easier. That is hope going to seed in the form of fantasies because it's not earthed amongst God's people. No gift, no virtue can develop and remain healthy apart from the community of faith. So there is something incredible This is where we grow, this is where we bless, this is where we're built up. And as we do those things, this is where God displays his wisdom. And as we do this thing called church, and as we love one another as we're called to, so he will be seen, doesn't it say? John 17, Jesus' prayer, so all people will know who I am, when you get this right. Because it's through the church that God's chosen to display his wisdom. So can we be careful how we think about church and how we come to it? And let's come to edify and to build up and to honor and to bless. Amen? Right. So what we're going to do in our last few minutes is we're going to share communion together. Because that's one of those things that uh, the Bible talks about and Jesus set in place for us to do as God's people. And it's a way of celebrating not only what he's done in us individually in reconciling us to God the Father, and forgiving our sin, and giving us hope and a future. It's not only what he's done in us individually, but it's what he's done in gathering a people. We're reconciled first to God, but then through the cross, we're reconciled to one another. Amen? And we celebrate that as we share communion. And isn't it interesting that as you go back a couple of chapters, when you go back to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, just before the patch that we've been talking about, Paul is talking about Communion and the way that the Corinthians do communion because they had problems there as well. And by the way, don't get cocky when we think about the Corinthians just because they had lots of problems. We just got different problems. Um, But they had problems with the way that they were doing communion as well. And that was because, same issue, they weren't understanding the body. They were just doing the thing that... that, So the rich people were enjoying a nice meal, forgetting those who didn't have anything. uh, And there were divisions in the body. And then they were going to try to do communion. And it was horrible. Paul says you need to sort out the way you do communion because you're not honoring the body. You're not aware of what God has done in calling together a body of people. And so as we share communion together today... I'm going to read the bit from, um, let me read the bit from 1 Corinthians 11 so that we've got this in our minds um, as we do it. So this is the chapters, couple of chapters before where Paul is correcting the way that they uh, are sharing communion together. 
Um, by the way, let me give you a couple of the things that he says is wrong with them and when they do it. So this, this is his critique. Okay, when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Okay, so there mustn't be divisions amongst us. If there's divisions, we need to put them right before we do this. Some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. So some of them were, what their agenda in coming and doing what they were doing in church was their own private agenda. Uh, okay, that was to do with eating, but ours might be something different. But the problem was their own private agenda. And Paul says to them, by humiliating those who have nothing, you are despising the church of God. So we have to be careful as we share communion that we're not despising the church of God. Those are strong words, actually, because we're celebrating what God has done in joining us all together, equals before the throne of God, each of us with all our diversity, reconciled to God. And we're celebrating what God has done in joining us into this family. So Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So we're going to celebrate this together. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done. We're going to celebrate the fact that we're reconciled to God. But we're also going to celebrate that he's adopted us into the family of his people. Okay, And where our attitude is awry on church, or we're coming just with our own agenda, wanting to get out of it what we want to get out of it, I think we need to come and repent of that. And actually, that's part of putting our hearts right before God as we share communion, because he has joined us by grace into a family of diverse people. And that is an incredible blessing. And so as we share communion, we're going to have a couple of minutes where we examine our hearts, Examine our attitude to what God has done in our own lives, and, but also to the body of Christ. And then we're going to share communion together. I'd love us to be bold again. I'd love us to be really aware of the body. So don't leave people on their own. Include others in. Seek to build up and to bless one another. That's important, okay? So let's be bold and courageous where we need to be. Let's not just do our own little thing, but let's celebrate what God has done with us together. Amen? So, one minute, let's examine our hearts. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your love towards us. We thank you for this incredible people that you've joined us into. We thank you for choosing us to be the people where you dwell by your spirit and through whom you choose to show your wisdom to the world. And Lord, we want to celebrate your death, Jesus, in our place, your resurrection to bring us life. We also want to celebrate the family of your people. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in the church. And Lord, help us to be a blessing now to one another. Help us to build one another up and do one another good.